Well, last week we witnessed uh, how Paul made a transition in his letter to the Philippians. He had given them an update, as you remember, on his condition and, as we saw, a very personal look into his heart. But then in verse 27, he takes a spotlight off himself and he turns his attention to the Philippian church. He encourages them to, to live as citizens of heaven by conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He then explains to them what that looks like as he calls them to to stand firm against external opposition. Like soldiers, they were to hold their ground, standing shoulder to shoulder, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul tells them, be prepared. Don't be caught off guard so that you can endure the, the difficulty of living life in enemy territory. They were to have a solidarity of mind and of purpose around a common cause of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. But as I mentioned last week, the greatest hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ is really not the opposition we face from the outside. Very often it is the jealousy and dissension that occurs on the inside. And I believe Paul agrees with that conclusion. And the reason I say that is because he began by addressing the external opposition that we face. But then he spends an extended amount of time dealing with the danger of internal dissension and its devastating impact on the mission to which we have been called. And we all know how successful the enemy is when he infiltrates the church. I think we could probably spend the rest of the morning sharing story after story of division and dysfunction that we've known about or been a part of in the church of Jesus Christ. And the world loves to highlight this dysfunction when it occurs. I don't know if you'll remember this, but a few years ago, there was a story that hit the Dallas paper about a church split. What made this front page news is that there were actually two factions within the same church who were suing each other over property that each of them felt like they deserved. The judge who initially heard this case wisely turfed it to the denominational court and they settled it fairly quickly thereafter. But as a result of the faction that lost that argument went on to build another church just down the street from the first church. (laughs) But this is where it gets really sad. This article in the Dallas paper went on to investigate this situation and traced the source of the issue to a church dinner that had occurred a few months prior. I'm not making this up, okay? Because here's what they found. The trouble began at this church dinner when an elder was served a smaller slice of ham than the child seated next to him. That's where it started. And the factions began to form, and it all went downhill from there. But if you think about it, we all know that the enemy was assembling this bomb long before the church dinner, wasn't he? And it was a a dirty bomb. (laughs) It included pride misunderstanding, selfishness, envy, strife, and the list goes on. 
And all these ingredients are, are highly combustible. And so it takes only a, a small spark, like the serving size of a meal, to ignite this kind of explosive. And Paul recognizes this danger. And so he turns his attention to unity in the church and what we need to do to diffuse this kind of distraction. But please, keep in mind as we look at our passage this morning that the goal is still the same. To live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm against external forces of opposition. And in the same way, he now says, stand firm against internal forces of discord. Let me encourage you, don't let the chapter division that you see in the Bible be a distraction to you here. It didn't exist in the original letter. This is not a new thought. It is the same focus from a new perspective of what it means to what it looks like on the inside in order for us to stand strong on the outside, to be citizens of heaven and ambassadors for for Jesus Christ. So if you would, go ahead and turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Your your bulletin will say in there Philippians chapter 1, but we're not going to start back at the beginning. We are going to do Philippians chapter 2. So if you would, go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Now this morning I'm going to have slides of the verses up here, but let me encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bible to these passages. And you may even want to write some things out in the margin that draw your attention back to what we're going to look at this morning as we we read Scripture together. But let's read together Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... I want to stop here. I know that's only one verse. But let me stop here because this verse is critical to our understanding of everything that follows. We know that it's significant because we have that marker word, that key word that says, therefore. And when there's a therefore, we need to ask what it's there for. We have to stop and consider what's being communicated. The, the key word that we see this morning points back to what Paul just said in the previous verses that we looked at last week. And, and he's telling us, in, in order to stand firm and live as citizens in, of heaven and ambassadors of Christ, this is what you need to know. If there is any encouragement in Christ. <laughs> Wait a minute. If there is any encouragement in Christ? What do you mean, if there is any encouragement in Christ? How could there not be any encouragement in Christ, right? Well, that's actually what Paul's point is as he makes these statements. You see, in the Greek language, there are four types of these conditional clauses. And the context determines which type is being used. And in our passage this morning, the type of clause being used assumes this statement to be true. So Paul is saying, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, if there is any comfort in His love, and there is. Some scholars suggest you could substitute, uh, substitute the word since in place of if, so that it would read, since therefore there is any encouragement in Christ. Since there is comfort in His love. 
since there is fellowship of His Spirit and, and since there is affection and compassion in your relationship with, with Christ. You see, the key to this verse is the understanding that, that Paul is giving us a picture of what we have in Christ. It's like taking an, an empty glass and, and filling it with who we are in Christ. Now, we could go all over Scripture to, to fill this cup up, couldn't we? But let's just begin by considering what we've learned already in Paul's letter to the Philippians. For example, is it encouraging to you to know that He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus? It is for me. It's encouraging to know that God is not going to give up on me. That's what that verse says. What about this? Are you comforted by the love of Jesus when you learn, as it said in verse 11, that you have been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God? That you have everything you need for life and godness, filled, filled with the fruit of righteousness. How about the fellowship we have the Spirit, which Paul talks about in verse 20, as he declares that is the source of his earnest expectation and hope, that he, as well as us, will not be put to shame in anything. But with all boldness, Christ, even now, is be exalted in our body, whether by life or by death. What about the affection and compassion and joy, for that matter, that comes from being recipients of His grace? Like we talked about last week, the grace to believe. And not only that, the, the grace to, to stand strong in suffering. And, and even to see what was meant for harm to be turned into something that can be used for good. But there's more. If we go beyond Philippians, what about Romans 6.11 where Paul tells us that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. What about Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's another good one. I want you to look this one up. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. All right, let me hear those pages turn. I know it's up there. Turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Because I want you to see this one. It's so good. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says... But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have uh, done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ as our Savior. That being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Does that not fill your cup? <laughs> well, let me put you over the top. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Right before Philippians. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start back in verse 14. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Get ready. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you 
according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Your life in Christ fills you up to all the fullness of God. Paul wants us to understand who we are in Christ. The encouragement that we have in Him. The comfort that we have from His love. The fellowship of His Spirit. His affection and compassion for His people. As Mark says... Very often, this is good news. And it is all throughout the Scripture. Knowing this, Paul says, make my joy complete. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Let me start back at one so we can put them together. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and there is, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul's deepest joy is not in his personal accomplishments. His joy is complete when the church fulfills its calling. When the church understands that the one that they hold most dear is the one thing that they have in common. That their one mind is the mind of Christ. That their one love is the love of Christ. The one spirit is the spirit of Christ. And the one purpose is the purpose of Christ. Which takes us back to verse 27 where we learned... That we are to live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to make sure that we have been filled. And indeed we have. But we have been filled with a purpose. And that purpose is this. To take what you have in Christ and give it away. Give it away. That's your purpose. We're going to unpack this a whole lot more in in the verses that follow. But I want to point you to a fantastic verse that you can point to 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 see this lived out in in a different passage. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Same idea. Different letter. You're going to like this. 2 Corinthians chapter Chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says in this letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now listen to this. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With what? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by who? By God. 
Do you see how, how Paul is communicating this same idea that, that we give to others out of what we have already been given in Christ? To, to the point that, that you can't do this apart from having been filled in Him. The cup we have in Christ is never-ending. As we pour out our life, the riches of who we are in Him are being renewed day by day. So much so that it is impossible, it is impossible to run out of the riches of who you are in Christ. And the reason is, is because all of His attributes are eternal. Every single one of them. His love is eternal. His compassion is eternal. His grace is eternal. It's never ending. That's why Paul just breaks out in his letter to the Romans and says, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His ways and unfathomable. Excuse me. How unsearchable are His judgment and unfathomable His ways. Or who has known the mind of the Lord or will become His counselor. Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again. For by Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Jesus Christ is the never-ending source of our strength and the unchanging purpose of our life. We are citizens of heaven, living on earth with the single goal of exalting His name. Empty yourself. Paul says, out of the fullness of who you are in Christ. Let's look at how he describes what this emptying looks like. Turn back to Philippians chapter 2, if you haven't already, and read with me beginning in verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do nothing, he says, out of your own emptiness. <laughs> That's really what he's saying. Your cup is full with Christ. And so don't try to do anything out of your flesh because that cup is empty. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. It really is saying, do nothing out of your empty self. There's a verse that comes to mind to me when I hear that. Chris, you'll remember this. This is one of your favorites. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two things, he says. Number one, you're holding a cup full of water. It's filled up with God, the spring of living water. And you set it aside. And instead, you take your own cup, one that has holes in the bottom and, and can't hold water even if you wanted it to. And that is what you're seeking to satisfy not only your own thirst, for God, but it is also the, the false hope that you're giving to others. This tells me, if you and I are thirsty, 
or the drink that we're offering to others is not satisfying, maybe we're drinking from the wrong cup. Paul takes it a step further. He says, what arrogance, what selfishness and empty conceit to assume that you have something in and of yourself that can satisfy the soul's of men. Blaise Pascal once said, There is nothing more foreign to a Christian than arrogance. Sometimes this arrogance is seen in the pompous attitude that says, I've got this thing figured out. Go ahead. Hit me with your best shot. Throw me your best theological dilemma and let me unravel it for you. I've got this thing figured out. I know people like that. They have nothing more to learn but a whole lot that they still intend for you to learn if you just give them the time. But it can also be much more subtle and often is. It can surface as this addictive cocktail of vanity and public opinion in the name of Christ, by the way. Which I believe is what Paul is referring to back in verse 15, when he says that some preach Christ even out of envy and strife. They do so out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, he says. He says later in chapter 2, as we'll find out, that Timothy is the only one. The only one in all of Rome of kindred spirit. He goes on to say, because they all, all the others look out for their own interests and not the interests of Christ Jesus. These are people who preach Christ. They are gifted teachers and preachers. But their moment in the limelight has more to do with what they can gain from others and less with what they unselfishly give to others. They're being filled up with pride and importance and not with the humility of Christ. These are joy stealers. People who you spend time with and and when you're done, you're often more beat down than built up. This is important because Paul is talking about people who infiltrate the church. These are the ones at the church dinner who become irritated because the slice of ham is not big enough. Those who hold the conviction that all my convictions are right and we can agree to get along just so long as you agree with me. pride in the name of Jesus. And it is a dangerous, dangerous enemy. And let me make it clear. There is no one in this room, no one, who is immune to this disease, present company included. But here's the antidote. Listen to what Paul tells us. He says, but, not in selfishness and empty conceit, But with humility of mind, let each one of you regard the other as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There's a story of a conductor of a symphony who was once asked, what's the most difficult instrument to play? Responded pretty quickly and said, "Um, second violin. Second violin. He said, I can find... Plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play second violin with enthusiasm, that's a problem. 
And if we have no second violin, we have no harmony. What is true in the symphony is true in life. God is calling us to play second violin. Considering the needs of others is more important than our own. Emptying ourselves out of the fullness of who we are in Christ. With encouragement and love and compassion and affection that we first received from Him. In fact, our joy, like Paul's, is made complete only when this is evidenced in our life. Other, otherwise, the cup that we have has a hole in it. And eventually, we'll be empty. I think about our most significant relationships. The success of your marriage, by God's design, is built on this kind of self-sacrificing love for your spouse. Paul tells husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what? Gave himself up for her. But we can't do that if we are not loving our spouse out of who we are in Christ. If I try to do this in my own strength, I run out of my reserves real quick. And it doesn't take me long to get to the bottom of my barrel. And guess what's at the bottom of my barrel? Same as yours. Same as yours. Anger. Disappointment, frustration, dominance. When those things start to surface from the top, I know, I know I am drinking from the wrong cup. It's a cistern that I've dug and not a spring of living water. My greatest gift of love that I can give to my sweet wife is my abiding in Christ. That is my greatest gift. That I am seeking Him in His Word, and through prayer and worship. That I'm being changed day by day. Transformed by the renewing of my mind, being conformed into His image. That is the wellspring from which I can give to her endlessly, no matter what I get in return. And the same is true in our families. I don't know about your kids, but my kids have an insatiable appetite for their parents. <laughs> Mommy, I'm hungry. Can you fix me something to eat? Daddy, will you play with me? Mommy, I don't have any clothes to wear. Daddy, my toy broke. Can you fix this for me, please? It's probably our house only. But Parenting is built on self-sacrificing love. It's considering the needs of our children as more important than our own. But like a marriage, it only works when we empty ourselves out of the fullness of who we are in Christ. That's Paul's point. And I believe the same principle applies to all the relationships, including those within the body of Christ, that allows us to fulfill our mission. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Did you catch what Paul says here? Give preference to one another in honor is a way, it's an act of service to the Lord. You've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again because I believe it's true. Marriage is not about happiness. It's about holiness. I believe God designed the marriage relationship with the primary purpose 
of using it to shape us into his image so that we can exalt his name. The requirement of self-sacrificing love is intentional. But I think the same argument can be made for the family as well. The primary purpose of the family is to produce godly offspring. A place where both parents and children learn to sacrifice self for the sake of others. In order to be a a holy people. Set apart for God's holy purpose. And if this is true, and I believe it is, then it would make sense that the very same objective follows in the church as we consider the needs of others as more important than our own. Intent on one purpose, holiness. Set apart for the common goal of exalting Christ. And please, please don't hear this as drudgery. (laughs) This is not a a life of humility that's boring and, and lifeless. No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. The marriage and family relationship, the the fellowship that we share with each other may be more about holiness than happiness. But there is no greater joy. There is no greater happiness than a life lived according to God's design. Listen to this. These are the words of Christ himself, okay? Listen to what he says to his disciples and he is saying to you. I am telling you these truths so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full, to be filled up with all the fullness of God in Christ Jesus, the joy of Christ in you. Is there any greater joy? No. No, there's not. Be filled in knowing that His mercies are new every morning, every day, every day you can be encouraged that he who began a good work in you is faithful to perfect it until the day of Christ. Every day, every day you are filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Every day his spirit indwells you. Every day you are a recipient of his grace. And every day you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus every day. So be filled with Christ and then go empty yourself. With humility of mind, let each one of you regard the other as more important than himself. Be set apart, as Peter says, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is our purpose while we live on earth as citizens of heaven. So let me close with some very practical examples of how we can put this into practice in the coming weeks. And let me just say up front, these are not all the examples and probably not even the best examples, okay? But they'll get us started. First of all, take out your bulletin, if you would, and look on the back at that excerpt. I can't remember what it says. Taking time to text, not while driving, something to that effect. If you have not already, take time this week to read that excerpt and then go and do the same. 
whether it's a text or an email or my personal favorite, just a handwritten note. Take the time this week to tell someone something encouraging. (laughs) Give them a passage of Scripture. Let them know that, that you've taken that moment of time to pray for them. Let me increase the degree of difficulty a little bit. That one's pretty easy, okay? Here's another challenge. This week, one of the things that I'd like for you to do, especially if you're going into a difficult conversation, premeditate, okay? Premeditate before you ever go into the conversation to listen long and patiently. If you're really good, maybe you can listen to the point where you hold your own opinion until the next conversation. Because here's the deal. Verbal vomit, as I like to call it affectionately, is a sign of arrogance. Those who talk incessantly as if their opinions and convictions are the only ones that matter is a prideful person. Be quick to listen, James says. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Humility requires the practice of holding your tongue. And so let me encourage you with another application. When you speak in these conversations, decide ahead of time that you will speak only that which is good and right in regards to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't discuss their marriage or or their kids, how undisciplined they are, what clothes they wear or their choice of education, their grades, their popularity. What does Paul tell the Ephesians? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, according to the need of that moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Words that build up. You see, Christians can often be some of the most critical people you'll ever meet. We list ten things that are wrong before we ever identify one thing is right. So if that's you, this week, reverse the trend. Speak ten things that are right before you let a single criticism leave your mouth. And then lastly, let me encourage you to get out of your routine this week. I don't know about you, but, but I'm a creature of habit. And very often to the point that my routine can hold me hostage. And I don't know how many opportunities I've missed in life because they weren't on my schedule or my task list. So I want you to try something this week. I want you to do something outside of your routine. If that's too daunting, if you're listening to this saying, oh, please don't make me do anything that's not on my calendar, that's all right. Put it on your calendar. (laughs) Random act of kindness, okay? Just put it on your calendar. But it works best if it hurts a little. Okay? Shorten your lunch. Maybe do it during your favorite TV program. How about that? Or instead of a bike ride or a golf game. That one hurts a little bit, right? It works best that way. And instead, take your family. Go pick up a gallon of ice cream and some fun toppings and just go by somebody's house and drop it off and tell them you just wanted to give them a special treat just that day. Okay? Or maybe you take care of some kids so that the parents can go out for a much-needed date night. You just call them and say, hey, we're going to come over and we'd like to take care of your kids for the next couple of hours. You guys go and have a good time together. The options are limitless. 
I know firsthand that it would be great if you were to take some time and go to a nursing home. You don't even have to know them, okay? You don't have to know them. It'd be great if you do, but you don't have to. Just go in and spend some time with them because do you realize how much they are alone? We've got several widows in our church family. Call them up. Say, hey, I'd like to bring a glass of iced tea and just come visit for a little bit. Just take the time to consider the needs of others is more important than your own. And if it's hard for you because it's not on your schedule, that's okay. Schedule it. Just go do it. But it all starts with being filled up in Christ. It's predicated on your understanding that you are complete in Him, lacking in nothing. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. When you abide in Him, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Your life in Christ has been filled up to the fullness of God. Drink deeply out of that cup. And then go. Go and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Do nothing out of your empty self, but give freely out of the wellspring of who you are in Christ. In all humility, let each of you regard the other as more important than himself. Build up. Be strong. Exalt His holy name. Citizen of heaven and ambassador of Christ. Let's pray. God, I don't understand, other than the fact that we are still dealing with our sinful flesh, why this is so utterly difficult. But you have made it crystal clear and have called us with utmost clarity to give our lives away. But you've also made it clear that we don't do that outside of who we are in you. That you have, in fact, filled us up so that what we give is out of the reservoir of what we have already been given in you. Your love, your compassion, your grace, your affection, your forgiveness. So, Father, may we drink deeply out of that cup of who we are in you and then empty ourselves in the lives of others by considering their needs is more important than our own. It is our calling. It is our commission. It is how we fulfill a life worthy of the gospel of you, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us strength to be mindful this week so that we are committed to this cause. We pray this in your name. Amen.